how can you throw away this great job, your great life, your great salary, this secure job for this crazy idea? And uh, we're going to predict like your company will not last longer than six months. And my parents both, they, they were a lot of encouragement. Yeah, they were <laughs> shocked. And because for, for them, it was like the, the career they had imagined for me point was, it was just not my career. And this typical complaint was like, how can you do that? You have the responsibility for your family. And didn't you think of your daughter? She needs you. She needs the money. And, and I think because I knew that and because I wanted to let her grow up in a way she doesn't have to worry about things and I always wanted to provide her with all the foundations for, for a successful future for her, I think this was the, the, all the motivation I needed to get this going in the beginning. Hi, welcome to the Ron Lieber Show where every week we bring you inspiring stories of success and overcoming obstacles from the world of sports, business and entertainment. To get your regular dose of inspiration, click subscribe and hit the notification bell. He's originally from Lübeck, Germany. He started out in the corporate world, becoming the youngest managing director of the department store corporation Karstadt, Hertie and Wertheim. After a store manager stint at IKEA, he went on to start his own business endeavors. As a change coach, he supports entrepreneurs, executives, and managers in actively shaping their future. As a keynote speaker, he supports companies around the world in making change happen. And he's also the author of 13 books, three of which have become bestsellers and have sold hundreds of thousands of copies worldwide. I'm excited to have him on the show today. Joining us live from Berlin, Germany, please welcome, here's Ilya Greshkowitz. Woohoo! It's a pleasure. Thank you for having me, Ronnie. <laughs> Thank you for being here. And today we'll not only talk about what brought him from the corporate world or you from the corporate world into your own ventures, also about the obstacles along the way, the secrets of writing best-selling books, and also about building your personal brand. But before we get into all of that, when you look at your life today and think back at your journey, was this what you had in mind when you were a kid? <laughs> Well, uh, to be honest, uh, absolutely not. I think I, I was a typical boy when I grew up. I always wanted to be a professional football player and do something with sports or music. And and still, what, what fascinates me today, because I'm working a lot with students, young entrepreneurs, and I know so many people who are like 21, 22 years old, and they have exactly figured out what to do with their lives. I remember when I was already like working for five, six years in my corporate environment and was climbing the success career ladder, I still hadn't gotten a clue what I wanted to do with my life. Um, so absolutely not a lot of things that happened and brought me where I am today. I wouldn't say they happened by, by accident, but I, I always, one of my guiding principles always like, when I'm introduced to a new idea or somebody says, well, would you be interested in joining this project? Or I always say yes, even if I'm not ready. And then I, I figure out what to do on the journey. And this is what I always have done. And yeah, I'm, I'm pretty grateful for, for all the decisions I made in the past and, and for where I am today. Wow. So really uh, taking opportunities and saying yes to change is is one uh, constant pattern i guess in your in your career and change plays a role in that there is a quote that change is automatic progress is not what is your take on that and how do you see change well this is absolutely true because uh especially today but but of course like when i'm giving speeches on this topic of change a lot of people often say, well, this is nothing new. Even 30 or 50 years ago, there was always constant change. And that is, that is true. Um, I'd say change today has become faster, more intense, more complex. This famous VUCA world, um, because technology is changing so fast. And we basically have two choices how to deal with that. First one is we just, we're being passive and we just endure what's happening to us. And, uh, this is a typical strategy of a lot of people, companies, they, they just hope that, yeah, 
we just hope that everything will work out just fine. Um, but it rarely does. And this is what, what you said changes. It's part of our daily life. But what we make of it, if we improve, it becomes better. This is a conscious choice we have to make. And my approach to that is we have to actively make change happen. We have to be intentional about how we want our future to look like. And there are obviously a lot of techniques, methods, philosophies on how to do that. Um, and I think especially in this ever-evolving, changing environment, it's, it's crucial to be very active about that. And we'll still get into the nuts and bolts, into the details about that and, and talking about change. But before we get there, just taking a step back, because you mentioned before that you were in the corporate ladder, you, after your, your education, you, you studied um, at the university, then you actually went out to, to be very successful for in many people's terms in the corporate mm -hmm. world. You, you were very young. Uh, you, when you were very young, you already had it. Uh, 10 different department stores within seven years in Germany and afterwards afterwards being a, a store manager at Ikea. How did you get started? Well, again, more or less by accident. I, I remember when I finished school, I had no clue what to do with my life. Um, I did civil service for, for uh, around about two years. I was working with little children and um, it, it was kind of like a, a kindergarten connected to a hospital. So I worked with disabled children, uh, ill children, uh, cancer children, which was quite tough. Um, and then I thought, well, what am I going to do with my future? And I had the idea, well, maybe you should study something like marketing and economics because that's where you can make money. Because I, yeah. I started working when I was 13. I, yeah. And so, yep. And this is what, what I did. And I studied economics and I hated it so much. It was so boring, but I finished it. I, I fought myself through all that. And it, of course, um, in hindsight, I probably wouldn't do it again. But of course, because I did this, I went to university, it opened me so many doors to my career. And during my time at the university, I, I, I have to admit, I, I was not a good student. I wasn't a typical student. I had so many side jobs, student jobs, and I was an interpreter for different companies from, from Africa, from America. I, I was working as a business development manager in the times. It was like roughly, so you can guess how old I am now. It was during the times of the new economy, like early 2000s. Um, I was working as a business development manager for companies who back then started to outsource Indian software developers for German and European countries, which was brand new back then. Um, I, I wrote business plans for startups. And the funny thing is all these companies I was working for and with, they basically, they offered me all jobs. They said, well, why don't you start with us full time? And then I remembered like my father, because I grew up in a typical, like, let's say blue color family. And my father said, well, no, this is just, just don't do that. You need a, a good, a regular job and stable it, income. It, exactly. Like in, the mindset of, of my, my father was you finish school, you go to university, you make, make a good exam or whatever. And then you go into something like a corporate world and you stay there for 50, 55 years and then you retire and that's your life. And I said, well, and if he, if he says so, maybe because he, he was always like, he was like one of my role models. And he said, if, if he says so, he's probably right about that. And so I applied for, for different jobs. And, and of course, as you said, uh, I was accepted after being through an assessment center for this company called Karstadt, which was like the biggest department store chain back then. And I was 27, the, the youngest store manager in, in the whole country back then. And I started and the whole company went into a huge crisis, which obviously they are still in today. And because of that, 
I was promoted so fast and I went through this whole corporate career in like, in like on, on steroids. If you, if you want to say something like that, um, I was responsible for, for 10 different jar stores all over the country. I had to shut down stores. I had to have the opportunity to develop certain locations. And what fascinated me back then was like, I was working with teams at extremely difficult locations and then i was working with teams at very like everything was kind of perfect like target audience had a lot of money and big big cities and we basically had to just open the doors in the morning and the people just came in and, and bought everything we had to offer like it was like paradise for for a retail company but what always fascinated me there were teams who were working together collaborated together and who had this kind of like can do attitude and then there were like the teams were were working against each other just working for themselves and there were the ones who were successful and the other ones who were not successful despite the circumstances and i always ask myself what's the difference what makes these people tick and why do some people have the ability to actively make change happen to grab the future by the horns and to actively shape it and others just like endure passively what's happening to them and i think this was like the this magic moment in my life when i thought well maybe this is like because I, i'm a sales guy i'm a marketing guy i i love retail still do but what always fascinated me was like what makes people tick and how can you like direct this mindset to like look out for opportunities and it was the first moment when i thought well maybe you should start your own business with that and of okay, course we'll, we'll, we'll get into that yeah. we'll get into your own business before that actually I, I want to pick something up that you that you mentioned and it was just a side note but i think for everybody who is listening today and who might be still on on the on the verge of well um should I do a study or not? And, and you, you said before that today you wouldn't do it anymore. Does it mean you wouldn't study economics anymore or you wouldn't do a study anymore at all? Or, and, and why is that? Well, I, I probably would. It's, well, it's, it's a fascinating topic because in hindsight, I would say, what well, if I would be 18, 19 years today, I would just start my own business because the, the opportunities are huge out there probably something with the internet an online shop an online service something along the lines of that but and here's the big but i think i'm only where i am today because of the journey i took and this the six years in university are a big part of my personality today so um so yes i, I probably wouldn't study again but only because I did, I am where I am today. So it's, it's hard to say what's the right answer. And one thing also, of course, is, is not just that you actually took the journey of university. You also, after university, you didn't just start right away with your own business. You went through the corporate world. So you, you get to see how are others doing that because there are, there are different ways that you can approach if you want to become your own boss, if you want to create your own business. Because one thing is just off the bat, you go right after your school, you say, hey, I'm, I'm out and I'm going to do my own ventures. Or like your path, you studied university. Then you went into, into the corporate world, got your feet wet in there and, and saw how does this work in the real world or with, with companies that have already figured it out. And what would you say to somebody who, who is like, well, should I now do my own thing or should I get my feet wet in the corporate world? And, and, and what did it do for you? Well, obviously there is no right and no wrong answer, but there's one principle, like just, just try things out. You, you don't have to make a final decision for your life when you're 20 or 22. If you want to start your own business, fine, try it out for a few years. If it works, great, do more of that. And if you find out, well, this is not really my thing, then maybe start a career in corporate or do it the other way around. Why not just try something out and spent a few years, five, six, 10 years climbing the corporate ladder, because as you said, it helped me as my, in my job as a, as an entrepreneur, 
as my, in my job as a, as a keynote speaker tremendously today because when I'm giving speeches at corporate events today, and especially when I'm talking about leadership, these people know this guy, he's not only talking about this topic, but he has been in our shoes. He knows the, the, how politics work in, in hierarchical organizations. And he has actually walked in our shoes. And, and this helps me so much because, as I said, when I was 27, 30 years old, I was actually leading teams, small and big ones, and I had to learn it the hard way. So I know what the pain points are. I know what, what's really important and maybe what is not. And so the, the answer is just try something out. And if it doesn't work, you always have the opportunity to make a new decision and go another path. Life is just too short to just stick with one decision. So you're not the blind man who's talking about colors. So exactly, it's, it's yeah. really that, that, you, that you know exactly what you're talking about. And, and one more thing before we actually go into your own business endeavors. You mentioned that you went very, very fast in the corporate ladder and you went up there and you were with 27, you started in there and, and within record pace, you went on to become one of the leaders in the company. Did it just go up or were there also some early struggles that you remember? Well, of, of course, the, the, the first two or three years, like from, from the outside, it went up, of course, because usually like the, the typical career was you were starting in a very, very small department store. Then you stayed there for three to five years. And if you did a good job, you got promoted to a middle sized small store. And then after another five years, you became store manager of a little middle store and, and so on. And if you were like 50, 55, you were good enough to take over one of these big department stores and well times were tough back then we were in a crisis mode so it got quite fast but i remember when i was starting out i was 27 i just came from university like in theory i knew everything but in in the practical daily life i knew nothing and of course i was from from overnight i became the boss of a leadership team who were in this business for 20 30, sometimes even 40 years, which meant they were super experienced. They knew everything about the business. And now this guy from university comes and this was quite tough. How do you win a team like that? How do you win the hearts and minds so that they accept you as their boss? And this was quite tough, to be honest. And, and I, I think one of the, the, the great advantage was it took me only two or three weeks to realize you have two choices. Either you ask a lot of questions, you're willing to learn, and you are willing to do whatever it takes to win them, or you will just, it will be a one big failure. And so I think the first two weeks, first three weeks taught me so much about how leadership works, how you form teams, and how all this status stuff works in in a corporation, in, an, in a hierarchical company. And this were tough times, to be honest, but, but I fought myself through that. Wow, I really love that, that, that approach because it's really, if you want to win somebody else over, it's not about coming from a superior position, like, hey, I'm the boss and now you got to do what, I, what I'm telling you to. It's really about also, in, in your point, you even not just come from an equal, but also sometimes in a, from an inferior position, to say, hey, um, how does it work? Like uh, to to be able to show vulnerability as well. To be able exactly. to to hey, uh, just because I have this position doesn't mean that I I, I know it all. So there is a, a wealth of knowledge here of, of everybody in here, a lot of experience. And on the other side, there's also a reason why I am in this position. But you, you got to earn their trust, I guess. Trust is so important. Of, of course, you have to make clear well. I'm responsible now. My decisions count because at the end of the day, I'm going to be accountable for the success or one success of this location. I'm responsible for all the people working here, if their jobs are safe or not, but you're the experts and I have to learn so much from you. And if you are able to have the balance between this, I'm responsible, but I am completely new. I have to learn from you. Then you gain trust and you build relationships and leadership is so much about this 
building relationships. And I think this still helps me today because these were the, the old days where bossing was still like state of the art when it came to leadership. Like I am the boss, this is my decision and you are going to execute what I'm going to tell you. I, I was more into this like leadership coaching approach even back then because I, I knew we, we, we were only going to be able to do this together. And together really means together. Like I always try to like communicate on eye level, even if I was a tiny bit above them from the hierarchy standpoint. And yeah, I had to learn quite a lot, but thank God I learned fast. <laughs> wow. And then you you said that actually already back then it was your first thought of, hey, I, I'm, I'm going to start my own business. But before that, you still went to Ikea. And, and what made you actually, like, what gave you the push to actually start your own business? Because I believe that there are quite some people out there who are very successful in their own ventures or in the, uh, sorry, in the, in the corporate ladder. Like they went far up and then they're thinking, ah, well, maybe I should do that. But on the, on the other hand, I have to support my family. I have to do, I have uh, a loan that I need to be take, uh, taking, uh, to be taken care of and so on. So what gave you the push to actually say, Hey, I'm going to do this. Well, there wasn't one push. And to be fair, like the first thing is, I think it was like five or six years into this career when I had this first idea I was talking about, well, I should start my own business. I should start working with people and develop people and, and do trainings and that kind of stuff. But of course, I, from the outside, I was pr pretty successful. I had a good salary, I had a good company car and, and all the career doors were open for me because I was young, I was probably quite talented um, and I was making, well, my, my results were quite good. So everything was looking good from the outside, but on the inside I was growing, like, I, was, I was kind of frustrated because I always was like, in my heart, I think I've always been an entrepreneur. I was, I'm a free spirit. I like to make decisions on my own. And if you're part of this corporate world, especially in retail, you were always in the hands of your superiors. And if they were going to say, well, Ilya, we need you in, in Hamburg next week, that meant, well, pack your things, move and start living and working there. And maybe six months after that, they are going to say, well, we need you in Munich now which means starting over again. And this was my daily life. And it, it, it came to a collision of my most important values. And I thought, well, this can't go on forever like that. But then the fear kicked in. Like, yeah, what am I going to do when my business doesn't work out? And as you said, I have to pay my, 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 my invoices and we just built a house in Berlin. And yeah, what, what am I going to do? And Every time I was on the on the verge of making the final decision, I got promoted again. Raising salary, <laughs> bigger car, and a bigger, bigger location. And yeah, and I said, well, okay, let's and For the status. This. I mean, think about yeah. this. The status, like everybody else is looking from the outside, like, wow, Ilya, he really made it. He's successful. Yeah. Absolutely. And I said, okay great opportunity. Let's do this. And then I'm going to think about it again. And it went on for another two or three years. And then I get this huge opportunity. A headhunter called me and said, well, we have a great opportunity for you. And long story short, I got a job offer from Ikea. As you say, it was an offer I couldn't refuse. It was just too good. And so I, I, Stayed in the retail business, but I, I switched companies and I was working as a store manager for IKEA. Completely different business models, Scandinavian leadership philosophy, very standardized worldwide, but still so innovative. All the Swedishness, it was a great experience. But the thing was, as I said, we just built a house in Berlin. My daughter was back then, she was, I think, two or three years old and we, I was living in Berlin, working in Hamburg, and I spent most of the week on the highway, driving back and forth, back and forth. And something interesting happened because wherever I was, I was never 
fully 100% present. So when I was at home, I was already thinking, well, tomorrow morning, you have to drive back to work. And when I was at work, I was thinking, well, how I want to get back to my family. And that, that, like, that ate me up from the inside. And I remember like I was driving back and forth and well, like 300 kilometers, three or four hour drive. And one day I was caught on a traffic jam again. And I was so frustrated. I was unhappy with my whole situation from the outside. Everything was perfect, but on the inside, I was getting more and more unhappy. And one day a thought struck me. And I think this was the last push I needed because I thought, well, nobody is forcing you to do that and you can make a decision to change it right now and i don't know what it was but i made that decision in that instant i drove drove to a gas station and i pulled out my phone and was shaking hands literally my hands were shaking so much because i still was afraid of that call i called my boss and said i'm sorry i, I can't do this anymore i'm going to quit and the rest is history, as they say. <laughs> well, but I can imagine that uh, on one hand, probably the boss uh, wanted to to uh, persuade you to stay. On the other hand, how did your your immediate surrounding react? And for example, your dad. Well, let's say yes, no. My my boss didn't try to persuade I me. Mean, he said, "Well, yeah, I I know you quite well. We, we had a good relationship." And he said, "Well, I, I can totally understand that you, you are you are really not fitting in in this whole corporate environment." And um, he did something for me, which I'm totally grateful because he said, "Well, we're going to pay your salary uh, until the end of your contract, but you can just stay home from from today on," uh, which was which was really helping me to get a little head start but of course my whole environment they were saying like they were going crazy about this decision like they said how can you throw away this great job your great life your great salary this secure job for this crazy idea and uh, we're going to predict like your company will not last longer than six months. And um, especially my dad, my parents, both they, they were- a lot of encouragement. Yeah, they were <laughs> shocked. And because for, for them, this was like, it was like the, the career they had imagined for me, point was, it was just not my career. And to make this story even more intense, um, I told you we had just built this house and my my daughter was three years old and, we had financial reserves because uh, what, what was quite expensive. We had like financial reserves for maybe three or four months after that, like my contract was running out. And I knew if this doesn't work out, I'm out of money in, in half a year. And I think this is something that pushed me a lot. It, it's always when, when you have this fear of what, what do you do if it doesn't work out, you can either be paralyzed or it can give you a big push. And thankfully it gave me that push because I worked extra hard. I worked lots, lots and lots of nights through because I really wanted to make this work. I had to make this work, not only for me, because a lot of this typical complaint was like, how can you do that? You have the responsibility for your family. And didn't you think of your daughter? She needs you, she needs the money. And, and I think because I knew that and because I wanted to let her grow up in a way she doesn't have to worry about things and I always wanted to provide her with all the foundations for, for a successful future for her, I think this was the, the all the motivation I needed to get this going in the beginning. Wow. So so you had your why, you had your drive, you knew that this is this is a must. This is not just like it would be nice or a should. This is really a must. I have to do this. So, how was your your first uh, like tipping your toes in the water in in the in the in your own business ventures? What did you do, or what did you, what kind of business did you start? And also, what were the? I mean, I guess also there were some early struggles because one thing, of course, in order to be having a successful business is you need to have clients. Exactly. I knew I needed to make money as soon as possible. And now we're talking about struggles again, because the first like two or three years, they were not easy because from, from my background, I was a generalist. I was pretty good in a lot of things. 
but not a specialist in one of them. And my, my business idea was, and that's another point, I never had a big vision or a very clear go, this is how my business is going to look like in five years. I had just, I had this crazy big dream in my head. I'm going to do something with people and I'm going to help a lot of people uh, to live their full potential. And I did pretty much did everything in the beginning. I did workshops, I did trainings, I did seminars, I did coaching, I did consulting. And on the on different topics, sales, marketing, communication, <laughs> you name it. When, when, when a client asked me or a potential client asked me, Ilya, what, what can we hire you for? I said, typically, well, what do you need? I'm going to do that. Um, because I knew I need to make money. It's, it's, it's a bit like the restaurant who's selling sushi and schnitzel and pizza and, and everything, like whatever you need. Yeah, and this, this was me. And the point was, it worked. It really worked. It didn't work well, but it worked. But after two or three years, I realized, well, this, this is not a business strategy. You have to focus more. But I think, especially in the beginning, it helped me to get my first clients and I was working so hard. I did cold calls and I tried to build a network and I called all my contacts from, from my former career and said, well, do you need someone who can do a training for you or do you need, need a coach for your leadership team? And I really, really worked hard because I needed to get that money in to get the business going. Wow. So, so really, um, from, from a general point of view and then narrowing down, getting more specific, really niching down to your topic, which now is basically is, is change for, yeah. for quite some time. So how did that develop? And, and also by then niching down, what changed? How did this transform your business? Well, what changed, like what I always did, and it's, it's a habit I, I still have today, every year at the end of the year i always do one of these like uh strategy sessions let's call it that so i always look back what worked well what didn't work well um what do i need to let go of what new projects do i want to incorporate in my strategy and after two or three years of running this business i thought well this this is not really going well i was exactly i was exactly like this restaurant you were you were mentioning because i did everything but nothing really well. I said, well, this can't go on like that. And I was really, really struggling to, to, to focus on something. And I always was looking like, what could my ideal positioning be? What, what is like this central theme of my life? And as always is the case, it was lying just in front of me all the time, but I just didn't see it. And what helped me, I, I asked a lot of people in my in a circle, friends, family, and, and also, what, what would you say is like, what defines me? And I say, yeah, of course, it's change. And yeah, true. When I was a student, I moved three times. When I was working in, in corporate world, I moved 15 times, had to deal with change every single day. I experienced it myself. I had to lead others through change. I helped others how to deal with change. And this was it. And it was like one of these eureka moments in my life. So, yeah, this is exactly it. This is my topic. This is what defines me. This is what the core of my personality. And I made a huge switch. I, I changed my whole business model 180 degrees. Um, change became the, the core of my, my brand DNA. And funny thing or not, after that, the business really accelerated. Who wow. knew? <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Who could have imagined? Yeah. <laughs> that when you're when you're known for something, because if, if you if you're just doing everything, you, you're basically doing nothing great. But you wanna you really wanna do something extraordinary. What what you're known for as, as a change expert. So talking about change a bit. Um, management guru Peter Drucker said that the best way to predict the future is to create it. So one thing that you do is you help entrepreneurs, executives, managers in, in actively changing their future. And for anyone listening, and, and maybe also for somebody who is not there yet, what are the keys for actively changing your future? Well, this, this actively changing, is it, it is so important because 
we're living in times where the the external changes are i'd say they they've gotten out of control not not only technology wise but the way we work is different hashtag new work um generational conflicts are getting more and more intense different values um you communicate different we live different we have different models of how our lives should be and then if you look on a global scale there are wars everywhere and, and nobody really knows and everything seems to be getting out of control and that brings one feeling with us one emotion insecurity and a lot of people just have no idea how they're going to deal with all that because it has become just too much and this actively t taking this this change and, and actively shaping your future actively creating your future that brings you a kind of feeling of inner security and it's super important and it always starts with taking responsibility for your own situation no matter what happens to you it's not your fault but you're the only person who can change that i was saying earlier so many people are just hoping that the future will be fine or will be okay or that they will by miracle find a way to somehow uh, transfer the, the past into the future, but it just never works. And so it always starts with taking responsibility for your situation and then just do mini steps and build habits and, and start focusing your mindset, start consciously thinking, well, how, how do I think? How do I decide? How's my behavior look like? And if you start making changes in these tiny areas, suddenly, you are taking control of your little world. And the more you're taking control of your little world, the more you get a feeling of this feels secure because this is what I can influence. No matter what happens outside, I can't influence that, but I can always influence my thinking, my behavior and my little world. And the more you do that, the more your little world and hashtags expands. And then you start interacting with other people. And if you do that on a, on a scale of working with teams or in a whole company, and then you influence other people with your attitude, with your mindset, and then you are creating this. And also Peter Drucker said, um, what did he say? Culture eats strategy for breakfast. And this is the kind of culture we need today. This incorporating this actively creating change is super important. Wow, I love that. And the culture doesn't just start in the company. The culture actually starts within you within yourself? What is the kind of culture you want to show up with every day? And I love that you said that it's about taking control and and, and things are, seem to get out of control because there are outside forces at play today like never before and that you cannot control. So it's happening. And, and Tony Robbins actually said that the quality of your life is in direct proportion with the amount of uncertainty that you can comfortably live with. And for many people today, the change that they're experiencing is is a feeling of feeling uncomfortable. So to make this practical, and you already gave us some steps here on how to actually take control. So is it about really taking control or is it about getting the illusion back that we are in control of our lives? Well, it's both. Let me give you a practical example from, from my background. Um, I told you I was working at this department store chain. I started and this whole company went into a huge crisis mode because online shopping was just starting to grow. Then all these new shopping centers uh, were popping up like mushrooms everywhere. And so revenue decreased and a lot of stores were being shut down. Uh, a lot of people were being let go. And, and basically for the whole time I was working in that company, we never knew are we going to have a job in three months from now? Or is this location still be in place like in six months from now? So there was always this uncertainty and it made something with people because when you're living in uncertainty day to day, a lot of people are starting to get depressed and only see what, what can go wrong and they, they, they don't have energy anymore. And what I said, okay, it is what it is. Let's make the best out of that together. And it sounds easy. Well, it's, it, it's simple, but it's not easy. And we always try to say, like, let's just put everything aside, which we can't control, which is like 
economic environment. We can't control that. Decisions of the board. We can't control that. Uh, what's uh, what what the competitors are doing? We can't control that. What online shopping Amazon is doing? Let it go. We can't control that. But what we can control is how we do our jobs, our daily jobs, how we are communicating with our customers, the kind of service level we provide, how we do the visual merchandising in the store. Everything of that we can control. And if we're doing a good job, this is all we can do. And if we, if you focus on that, suddenly something happens in the minds of the people because they focus on what they can control and they're doing good jobs and that give them energy and they support each other. And this is just the way how to deal with this uncertainty. Focus on the things that are in your area of influence. And of course, it's a, it's an, it's an kind of an illusion of, of control. But on the other hand, it's sometimes you are in control, but only on the things that in your area of influence, if, if that makes sense. It absolutely does. And, and it just reminded me of something that I heard that at any moment in time, you can, you're in control of three things. You always can make three decisions in that very moment. And the first thing is actually, what am I going to focus on in this very moment? Because there are always a thousand or a million things that you can focus on. So what are you actually going to focus on? Because are you going to focus on what's not working or are you going to focus on what's maybe working or what's inside of your control? So the next thing is, what does it mean for me? That means what meaning do I give to that? And the third thing is, what am I going to do because of that? So what to focus on? What does it mean? And what am I going to do because of that? And when you were talking about this example of the corporate world, I, I just thought of a different example also out, out of the uh personal world because it can also be that for example you're in an unstable relationship with your spouse with your girlfriend with your husband your wife or whatever it is and maybe at the end you don't even know if at the end of the day the relationship is still going to be there and this can go on for weeks and months and obviously this is not sustainable this is not also from from a nervous system it's not something that you that you want to be experiencing every single day and that was also thinking about you have your new book that is the mindset revolution is this also something that tackles into all of that? Pretty much. Let me let me just address what you just said because that was a, a really good example. It's it's valid in relationships, but you can very easily transfer it to the business world, uh, to your team, whatever. Because it's uh, this kind of human. When we are in a situation we are not happy with, we tend to point the finger and always put a lot of effort in trying to change other people. Meaning, if you're in a relationship you're not happy with, how often are we like, if you would just change the way you, whatever, behave at the dinner table, or if you would just change the way we communicate, if you would just change this or that, it doesn't work. It never does because yeah. you just can't change other people. Same is true in the business world. When something doesn't work the way we want to, we're just like, if the management would just make other decisions or if the customers would just understand how good we are or whatever if my colleagues would just communicate in a different way then i could do a good job then i could be in a nice relationship then i finally could be happy but that just doesn't work the only way to do that is to start with ourselves to change our focus as you just said to change our behavior and if we change ourselves Suddenly, not always, but in a lot of times, suddenly the other persons change as well. And then our relationships get better. Our team spirit gets better. Our results in business get better. And now let me do like the, the switch to my new book. Um, the mindset revolution is indeed a lot about how can you adjust your mindset? How can you adjust your way of dealing with all these changes? But in a, let's call it a healthy way because there's one phenomenon I experience every single day. And is that we tend to do so much with ourselves because I, I wrote this book for people who really, who are open, who really want to improve their life and who understand that they can't change other people, but they do too much of that. They try to improve too much too soon and in a short period of time. So they tend to over optimize themselves. So they start their day with like 
they wake up and at 5 a.m., of course, because they're part of the 5 a.m. club, and then they do yoga yeah. and meditation. They pull out their success journal and they, they journal for half an hour, and then they listen to podcasts and read self-improvement books, and they attend seminars, and they do this and they do that, and they are so occupied with optimizing themselves that they just don't have time to live anymore. And I try to give some, some ideas and some strategies and how you can adjust your mindset without falling into this trap of over-optimizing yourself. Mm, wow. Almost a bit like a counter trend as well that, that you're setting here. And, and the mindset revolution, as you mentioned, is your newest book. Yeah, but exactly. also, as we said in the beginning, you have authored 13 books and yeah. I mean, that's a lot. Many people are thinking about writing a book and, and trying to bring out one out and it takes them forever. And, and they have this idea for years with them. They're pregnant with that idea of, ah, one day I'm going to have a book. And they, they see it as a very big thing. And you've done 13. So obviously you've figured out the process. Do you remember the first time that you actually wrote a book? Like what, what was it that triggered, hey, I'm going to write a book. And also what's the best process to write a book? Well, I think I got it again. It's also a common theme of all the things I'm telling you. I got into this career as a writer, as an author by accident, more or less, because when I was a student, when I was working, I've never thought of myself as a writer. I always liked to read. I always was into books. I've always been a... I just love reading books, various styles, thrillers, biographies, business books. I just, I just inhale books because I just, I always love that. And then one, one day I, I was like doing a strategy for, for a new seminar, for new speeches. And I was like researching different books and articles for that. And there was not just, there wasn't one, like one book that summarized all the ideas. And I, I thought, well, if there isn't a book, that summarizes everything, I think I'm just going to need to write it myself. And it was a crazy idea, but I, I started writing. And if I'm looking back now, that was in 2009. I think this this is a horrible book and the writing wasn't good. Uh, the structure wasn't good, but it was a start. It was the first book I, I published. I, I did self-publishing back then. How, then did, how long did it take you? Not that long. I think... Back then, maybe half a year, um, because I had all, all the material was already there. I just had to sit down and write it. And, and then I got lucky or not lucky. I don't know. Sometimes I think you just have to be at the right place at the right time, meet the right people. Because back then, this self publisher always like they had a kind of like a top 10 list of all the books who sold well in their line of work. And, and my book was always in the top three selling pretty well back then. And then I got a call from a traditional, well-known publisher. And, and I was talking to the manager and he said, well, Ilya, your book is going quite well. We'd like to buy the rights for the book and republish it under our, our company name, our brand name. I said, wow, now I've made it. And, and this was the first time I thought, well, what could the, the next book be? And then this is what I first thought of myself as a as a writer, and I started to like really think about ideas for new books. So originally, you were not thinking about authoring thirteen books; it was just one book. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But I I, I, th I figured out something quite quite early in my in my early days. Um, first and foremost, I, I always like I think this is the one of the reasons why I'm writing so many books. I always like my head is always full of ideas always like if i right now i could probably find five topics to write a book on because i have so many different ideas that it is my difficulty is to let go of ideas so i can focus on one or two of them because sometimes i'm just juggling three or four ideas at the same time just my personality but i think i realized that you, they they usually say you always have to have a target audience in mind when you write a book or when you create a product or a service. And first and foremost, I think I'm always writing all the books for myself because I, I wouldn't call it 
therapy, maybe it's a bit, but every topic I'm writing a book about sitting down and putting my crazy thoughts. And sometimes I wish I could look inside my brain and see what's going on there because it's, it's sometimes it's, even for me, it's confusing, but sitting <laughs> down and putting it into written words, structuring everything and developing chapters and sub ideas and sub sub ideas helps me, forces me to be clear about my own thinking. And it helps me every single time when I'm starting to write a book at the end, I'm having so much clarity myself about this topic. Um, so first and foremost, I write the book for myself. And of course, I, I if, if I have problems with structuring this certain topic, I, I know there are lots of other people who are probably in the same position as I am. I have a question because I believe that many people out there who, who would like to write a book are thinking, yeah, I would like to write a book. And, and maybe one of the concerns is, well, I mean, if I'm already going to write one book, what topic am I, I'm, I'm going to write about? Because they maybe have several ideas, but uh, at the same time, it seems like it needs so much time to create a book. So I want to nail the topic because I'm, I'm not thinking about before my first book about writing 10 books. It's about getting the first one done. Yeah. So actually the biggest concern is about how do I find a time or how do I structure a time into my, into my, my daily uh, rituals? And, and, and also how much time does it actually take to write the book for you? I mean, I guess probably you got more efficient uh, after time. And, and how do you integrate this as part of his daily life? Well, first and foremost, if you want to start out and you're not really clear about a topic or it just seems overwhelming to write a whole book, just start up with small text. Uh, do, do a LinkedIn post, for example, three times a week or do blog posts, start your own blog. And, and I guarantee you, if you do that on a consistent basis and make this writing a habit for you, you will not only find your, your writing voice, you will also be very clear about a which topic interests yourself but also which is the topic that resonates most with your audience because you get feedback on this kind of like text and then you could start writing a whole book and if you i always start with a the most general idea this is the one idea like if you could summarize the content of 250 pages into one sentence this is always my starting point and then i get like what are the, the three main parts of the book then i start what, what could possible chapters be and the, the hardest part for me is always like structuring the book in my head and i mostly do that when i do walks in the forest when i go running or jogging because when my body is in motion i know i'm i'm in my creativity is also in motion and my, my brain activity is in, is in motion. So I always have to move to get good ideas. And, and then I finish, finish the book in my, in my mind. Of course, I also put it in writing. I do mind maps and I do all the kind of structuring. And then if it comes to the, the, the actual writing is the easy part, the easy part, but you have to be very deliberate about that you can't just say, well, today I'm in the mood for writing, so I'm going to sit down and write. And now today I'm, I'm not feeling like writing. This will not work. One of my favorite books is called The War of Art. It's by Stephen Pressfield. It's it's an amazing book. It's it's very thin. It's maybe a hundred pages, but he distinguishes between the professional and the amateur. And he says the professional. And if you consider yourself a professional writer, the professional, and you can just, it's a metaphor. You can like substitute writer with trainer, business owner, whatever. The professional sits down and writes, even if he doesn't feel like that, because it's his job. And it, because, I mean, imagine you, you, a pilot is sitting in his cockpit and says, well, to, I, I don't think I'm going to fly from Los Angeles to New York. I, I just don't feel like it today. Or, uh, a, or in the middle of the flight. Yeah. I'm not feeling like it anymore. Or a surgeon wakes up at 7 a.m. and says, well, I, I need to do some surgery today, but I'm just not in the mood. I'm, I'm just going to sleep in. doesn't work. So you have to find a way to incorporate the writing into your daily routine. And there are different ways to approach that. You could say, 
first and foremost, I would say you have to listen to your your biorhythm. When are you most productive? For me, I know between six in the morning and 10 in the morning, this is my most productive time and I use it to do my writing. So you could say every single morning between seven and eight or seven and nine, what, how much time you have and depending on how your job looks like, I'm going to sit down and write. I'm going to turn off all notifications. I'm going to turn down my phone. I'm going to put aside all possible distractions. It's just me and the sheet of paper or of course your your digital equivalent of your sheet of paper your your note taking app your writing app of choice and then you're going to sit there and write no matter what happens or you could say every single day i'm going to write a thousand words or you say every single day i'm going to write one page in my book and if you do that for 200 days your book is done at least the first draft is done and of course there are days you feel very inspired. You could write for hours and hours and hours. And then there are days you just sit there and say, well, no, nothing's, I, I just don't feel inspired. Nothing's coming to mind. And then you write a sentence and say, no, you delete it again. But it's still better to write something that's just crap than just write nothing at all. And the more you build that habit, it just stays part of your your DNA it stays part of your routine. And of course, especially for me, because I don't have an office job. My days are totally different. Sometimes I'm traveling, sometimes I'm not. So I can't just say I'm going to write two hours from seven to nine in the morning. I have to be flexible about that. And sometimes um, I'm writing in the lounge at the airport or when I come to my hotel room at 9 p.m. But I always write every single day because that habit is super important wow and of course you get better with that as well and it's it's the same also when you're when you're working out or whatever like michael phelps also said that that for however long um i forgot the exact number of days 500 something days or something every single day he went to work out he went to the gym he went to the pool because of course there were days when he didn't feel like it but he he knew that this is what it takes in order to achieve greatness. One last question about, about the books is, okay, you, that's a clear process of how to write a book. And it's fantastic. And, and now you, you absolutely nailed this. Out of your 13 books, three of them have become best-selling books. And, and Robert Kiyosaki once said that, I want to be a best-selling author, not a best-writing author. So it's one thing to actually write a book. And it's a totally different thing to make it a bestseller. What's the secret behind that? Well, the secret is, uh, as it always is, there is no secret. Um, again, of, of course, uh, to underline what you just said, a, a huge part of publishing a book is marketing the book. So in order to hopefully sell as many copies as possible. Well, of course you could say, well, I'm just writing it for me. That's okay. But usually if you're writing a good book, you want as many people as possible to read it because you hope you're going to change lives with that. So you should start about how do you want to market the book? How do you want to sell the book as early as possible? And when I'm doing uh, book coachings with potential authors, I always say, well, like, the first moment you have the first idea and you, you start the project, this is when your marketing starts, not when the book is published. That's too late. You have to start earlier. So which means that you can just share your journey with your community. You can tell as many people, I'm writing a book. You can grow your network, let as many people know as possible. And you should imagine, how do you want to market the book? Do you want to do social media campaigns? Do you want to run Google ads? Do you want to do Amazon marketing? Do you want to do a book trailer on YouTube? Do you want to do a podcast about that? So what's your marketing strategy? It's super important, but unfortunately there is no silver bullet. There's not one strategy because for every one of my book launches, I, I have a kind of like a, a, a checklist and there are just things that work. And of course, we're doing it every single time. It's, it's PR, reaching out to influencers and doing all this kind of like Amazon marketing and online marketing, blah, blah, blah. Um, but sometimes it works and sometimes it doesn't work. And now it's, it's another point I was mentioning earlier. Sometimes... You just have to be at the right place at the right spot. And, and the title of the book has to like tickle a nerve 
of of the the people and and one of my books uh did just that and it was fortunately for me it was like book number three and it was like it, it skyrocketed I, I still remember that was in 2013 uh the book is called attitude it's about of course one of my favorite topics um your your mindset and how to adjust that and i was i remember that it was back in the days when we not were not communicating all the time and a colleague called me on the phone actually and said yeah you need to get into one of these like bookstores at the at the airport your book is on the bestseller list and i went and said wow and i saw my book with my cover and it says newcomer of the week it was like number 17 or 18 of, of 20 books on this list and i was so proud it became even better because i don't know why i have no clue until today two weeks later I was walking in another one of these bookshops again, and you also have these like these best-selling pyramids. And I remember number one was the biography of Bruce Springsteen, The Boss. And number two was my book, just, just below that. And I still have so many pictures of that. And this was like, wow, how, how come? And And sometimes it's just, sometimes you need a little bit of luck in your career but of course, there are ways to to force the luck. There are ways to like increase the possibility that you be, can become lucky, so wow. to speak. I love that. And 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 one question also that I would like to bring up is about personal branding because you you said before about really niching down or finding what you want to be known for, which in your case was the change topic or is the change topic. Then of course the books also tie into or they, they pay into your personal brand, so to say. Do you actively think about building your personal brand? And then if somebody would like to build their personal brand, what would be the Ilya Greshkovitz recipe for success? Well, I think the, the personal brand is super important today, not only for people who are like entrepreneurs or business owners or want to go into this like creator influencer industry. Of course, you have to have a brand because like there's so much content out there. There are so many people out there who are writing books or doing videos who are doing podcasts. You need to have your brand to stand out. You need to be known for something. Uh, you need to be a little bit edgy, of course, so people can like either hate you or love you. Uh, the more you invoke emotions the better but i would say also for people in the corporate world like managers or c-suite members it has become important to grow your own brand because the the more you're known for something the more opportunities will occur the more doors will open for you and if there's a way you should definitely start with what are my core values what are my non-negotiable values you need to know that and by that i don't mean to like this like these nice fluffy nice sounding values we all want to or, or writing on a piece of paper because they're trendy they're sounding nice I, i'm talking about the values who really define who i am the benchmarks when i'm taking decisions when I say, well, this is so much in conflict with my values, I'm not going to do that no matter how good this opportunity sounds. Because if you know these values, like my favorite metaphor for that is take a tree and, and the values are like the roots and you need to be grounded. You need to be deep down in the ground because if you are, then you're, you're, the, the tree of your brand in this case can be can grow, can be strong and the the um, the branches and the leaves can become super flexible when there's rain when there's a wind coming up when there's a sun thunderstorm so this this balance between rooted being grounded knowing your values and at the same time be super flexible in your tactics in your actual behaviors this helps and then you just have to be very clear about how you want to be known what you want to stand for and after that it's all about communication become visible and just spread your message over and over and over again as often as you can in front of as many people as you can. I love that. I love the metaphor and I, I really love the, the detailed answer about that. As we're coming close to the end of our time, what's one piece of advice that you would like to give to somebody who's just starting out on their journey? 
Define Journey, Personal Journey, Business Journey. Uh, let's say Business Journey. <sighs> Or maybe is it a cross point where they are thinking, I'm, I'm going to change? I'm trying to be as specific, but also as, as general as possible. I think it is very, very important, especially in these times we're living in, um, to be clear about what you really want what you expect of life and how you would like your your ideal life and be as, as, as clear as possible about that and that also means to like let go of all the expectations of your parents your inner circle your friends your colleagues and really be honest to yourself what do i want what do i really want and how would my ideal life would look like where would i want to live How would my lifestyle look like? Do I want to be a digital nomad? Do I want to live in a house? Do I want to live at the beach or in the mountains? Or do I want to switch places? With whom do I want to live? Do I want to have a huge family? Or do I want to live just by myself? Because I'm just that kind of, I don't know. Just, just be honest with yourself. And if you have clarity about that, then you can start building your business around that. And I think this, this order is super important to be clear about your dream life first and then build the business around that. Because the normal way is you sometimes you just slide into a job and take over the, the company of your father or you become a dentist because your mother was a dentist as well. And, and then you build your life around that. And then when you're 30, 40 or maybe even 50 years, you think, well... There, there needs to be more of life. I, I, I don't want to be a dentist. I don't want to be a lawyer. I want to be a whatever. I want to be a YouTuber or a content creator or I want to open a restaurant and just focus on pizza and not doing everything. But then your life is settled and it's quite difficult to switch it back. So be clear about your life. Build the business around that. I love it. If somebody got inspired, would like to know more about you or even work with you, where can they find you? Well, of course, uh, if you... I think you have to put some links in the in your show notes because my surname is actually quite difficult to not to pronounce but to write because there are definitely there are no vocals in my surname. But of course, um, you can visit my my website ilyag.com or just look me up on my two favorite uh, internet platforms, social media platforms, which is LinkedIn and Instagram. Awesome! I will definitely link those in the show notes. Any last 30-second thought that you would like to leave us with? Well, uh, my thought right now is I'd, I'd just like to, to thank you for, for this uh, great conversation. And as, as always, I'm, I'm, I, I, I did a lot of talking today, uh, which I like, obviously. But I think a good conversation is always defined that even if I talked a lot and even if you gave me the opportunity to share a lot of my ideas, I also learned a lot from you and from your remarks and from your putting my ideas into a different context. And now we're maybe this is like back to where we started. This is probably the, the most important mindset you can approach the future with. Always be willing to learn, always be open to new ideas. And once you have this, I know that I can already do that. And uh, this, this is nothing new. Just like let an alarm sound in your mind and say, no, 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 just just be open. And what could I learn from this experience? So thanks thanks a lot for having me, Ronnie. It was, was a pleasure. Uh, thank you so much. I, I really appreciate the feedback. And also, thank you for all the golden nuggets that you left us here with. And I'm, I'm absolutely excited that uh, to, to have experienced that. Thank you so much. Once again, give it up for Ilya Greshkovitz. Woo! Thank you for sticking with us until the end. To make this content even more valuable for you, please leave a comment below and share your thoughts and also share this video with somebody you care about who absolutely needs to see this. Thank you very much. Have an outstanding day and see you next time.